0: Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. A lot of things that are going on around us today are merely distractions. You and I need to be aware of that. Merely distractions. Trying to turn our attention from our mission, which is to take the gospel to the entirety of the world. Reminds me of the story of the old couple who began forgetting things. So they went to the doctor, and after an examination, he said, well, really, it's just old age. Just start writing things down so you don't forget. So they carried a notebook, each one of them, and they wrote things down so they didn't forget. One night, they were sitting in the living room, and the husband said to the wife, I need to go get me a snack out of the kitchen. She said, well, when you go, get me a bowl of ice cream and put some chocolate on it and a few cherries. He said, okay, I'll do that. She said, aren't you going to write it down? No, I'll remember, no problem. Twenty minutes later, he came back with a plate of scrambled eggs and toast. And she looked at him and said, I told you to write it down. I knew you would forget. He said, what did I forget? My bacon. (laughs) Sometimes that's the way we are. We allow distractions to turn our mind off from what is really going on around us. You see, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the return of Jesus Christ is much closer today than it was two months ago. What we're seeing around us is a setup so we can understand that at one point in time, the kingdom of darkness is going to shut down the church of Jesus Christ. But at that point, we will see the victor, the champion, the King of kings and the Lord of lords rise up in power and in might. Oh, come on, somebody. It's time to give praise and glory to the king, to recognize that Jesus is the victor and the conqueror. And today, God is looking for warriors. He's looking for men and women who will rise up and say, I'll be that man of God. I'll be that woman of God. I'll do what you're asking me to do. Rise up and let him use you. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read verses 11 through 16. Listen to the advice that Paul, the old apostle, gives to Timothy, his son in the faith. He said, but you, O man of God. Notice he said, you, O man of God. He's talking to you and I in the scripture today as well. So apply it to yourself. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And then when you move to verse 12, it's almost like verse 11 and verse 12 are oxymorons. Because in verse 11, he's telling him to to flee the things of the world and pursue the things of God. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. That seems like a pretty calm way to live. But then when you move to verse 12, he brings this injunction, fight the good fight of faith. That seems like they're the opposite of each other, but really they're not. And that's what I want you to understand this morning, that yes, God has called you to live a peaceable life, but in that place, in that place, we need to understand that uh, he's also called us to fight the good fight of faith. There are times we have to stand up, take out the sword of the Spirit, and allow God to do something great and mighty in our lives. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That phrase, lay hold on, literally means to seize, to grasp, even with force when necessary. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then he says in verse 13, I urge you, read it for yourself, apply it to your life today, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, look at verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time He who is the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power, amen. When I read those scriptures, it tells me that there's a very specific word there for you and I today. It wasn't just for Timothy thousands of years ago, but it's for you and me as believers today. And he tells us the things that we should grab hold of, the things that we should fight for, and what we should hold the dearest and the nearest in our lives. We should grab hold of righteousness, and peace, and love, godliness, patience, gentleness. We should grab hold of eternal life. And we should fight the good fight of faith. The word fight literally means to struggle or to contend with. Well, who are we struggling with? Who are we contending with? It's the enemy. It's the enemy of our soul that we're fighting against so that God can bring victory into our lives. When I read that, you know what I think he's saying to Timothy? I think he's saying to Timothy, it's time, son, for you to be responsible for you, for you to stop blaming everybody else for your problems, for stop blaming everybody else for the circumstances you're in, and it's time for you to be responsible for you. Stand up, let God help you take control of your situation and see what God will do in you and through you. Have you ever wondered how great life would be if you simply begin standing on the promises of God and believing God for greater things and better things to be poured out in your life? What would happen if you actually ask God to help you live a larger life than you're living now, a greater life than you're seeing now? to ask God for bigger things, things that some say are impossible. God loves the word impossible because when we say it's impossible, he says, yeah, but with God, all things are possible. Maybe you have an impossible situation in your life today. What do you do about it? You fight the good fight of faith. You lay hold on eternal life and everything that God has given to you, and then you see what God will do in and through your life. I love impossible situations, because that's when God has an opportunity to prove really how good he is, how great he is, how mighty he is in our life. You see, if I can handle it, I really don't need God, do I? If I can take care of it, if I can resolve it or solve it, why do I need God? I only recognize my need of God when things become so impossible I can't deal with it, or when I draw so close to him, I recognize I can't live without him. Then we recognize our need of of God and our Father. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul again writing to the church in Corinth says these words, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The word pulling down literally means to the extinction of, to the complete destruction of. And the word strongholds from the Greek is the same word that's interpreted castles. So imagine this word picture as Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. He says, the weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshly. They're not something that you and I design, but rather they're mighty. And by the way, that Greek word mighty is dunamos. It's translated as an explosive power in our lives. It's the power the Holy Spirit gives us when he comes into our lives and fills us with his presence. We receive power from on high. Dunamos, explosive power in our lives. Paul says the weapons of a warfare are not of the flesh. You didn't design them. You didn't make them. You didn't figure it out, but rather they are mighty. They are with explosive power through God and God's ability. And he goes on to say those weapons are there for the pulling down, the extinction of strongholds. So picture this huge castle with a moat all the way around it that's 20 foot deep and 60 foot wide and filled with alligators, The walls on the castle are 50 foot high. They're 12 foot thick. You can't penetrate it. The picture Paul is drawing for us here is that when we tap into the power of God and when we begin to fight the good fight of faith with the weaponry that God has provided, then those walls, those strongholds will be pulled down to extinction. It's not just a pile of rubble, but it completely disappears. Oh, somebody needs to get that in your spirit. You've been fighting battles. You need to stop fighting in the flesh. You need to give them to God and start using the weapons of your warfare, which come through the Holy Spirit and see those walls fall down flat. So they're not even there anymore. You don't even see any sign of them ever existing. They're extinct. They're no longer in your life. They're no longer a problem. He goes on to say that's casting down arguments. And the word cast down from the Greek literally means to lower with violence, lower with violence. Now, a lot of you don't like that, because you think Christianity shouldn't be involved in violence, I'm here to tell you, spiritual warfare is a violent thing. And you're going to get dirty, you're going to get muddy, you're going to get greasy, you're going to get bloody. But the good news is, you're going to win when you fight with the weapons that God has provided for you. Casting down, pulling down, removing those arguments against the Lord Jesus Christ. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now when I read these two passages, when I read First Timothy 6, verse 12, and when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it implies to me the actions of an army. It tells me there's a battle and a fight ongoing at all times. It indicates that you and I are to be involved in that battle and in that fight. Do you realize the reason our armies exist is to kill our enemies? That's exactly why they exist. When a soldier goes through basic training and then advanced training, they're teaching him and training him to be a killer, to kill our enemies. That's why they give them weapons of destruction, weapons that will kill the enemy. And do you understand, when you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, he is filling you with power so you can overcome and destroy the enemies that come into your life. Well, that's pretty strong, I know. But it's time for men and women of God to stand up and say, I am not in any way afraid of the enemy or afraid of any design or scheme or plan that he unleashes against my life because Jesus Christ is the conqueror. I'm fighting with the weapons of spiritual warfare and the enemy will fall down. Amen. That's pretty good preaching this morning, whether you agree or not. It's what God wants us to do. He's not looking for a bunch of milk toast, weak-kneed Christians. He's not looking for a bunch of Christians to sit around and sing uh, Kumbaya. He's looking for men and women who will grow a backbone and a spine and in this day and in this time, when culture is against the kingdom of God, stand up and say, it doesn't matter what you say, this is what the word says and we're gonna believe and follow the word of the living God. Amen. I want to set the record straight this morning. The Jesus I follow, he's not some doodamp hair, bambi eye lamb. The Jesus I follow is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He roars. It's time for you and I to hear his roar. It's time for you and I to stand up and let him move through us. Listen, we aren't here to hold the fort. We're here to take the territory for Jesus Christ. Be men and women of God filled with that most power, That brings down the attacks and the weapons of the enemy. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 6, I don't have time to go there this morning. But if you did, you'd see that Paul is saying to the church, you're weaponized. Just as we train soldiers and give them an N16, or give them a bar, or give them a, a combat knife, just as we give them grenades, As we train soldiers to use those weapons, Holy Spirit trains us to use the weapons that God has given us. Paul tells us very clearly we should put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand in that evil day. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Pick up the shield of faith. Pick up the sword of the spirit. He tells us to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Have your loins girt about with truth. He's telling us, put on the weapons of warfare and get in the fight. Why is he saying that? Because too many times we wanna sit in the background. We won't let somebody else fight our battles for us. Oh, grandma prays for me. Well, thank God for grandma, I'm glad she prays for you. But it's time you start praying for yourself. It's time you start standing for yourself. It's time you start exercising the word of God over your life and in your life and see what God will do, amen? It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to quit being afraid and sitting behind walls because some virus is out there and stand up and say, you know what? The blood of Jesus is against you and the blood of Jesus covers my life and the blood of Jesus is all I need. Oh, listen to me, folks. Stop being afraid and be filled with faith which brings you to a place where you engage in the battle. Engage in what God is wanting you to do. Paul said we're weaponized. Have you been weaponized? If you read Ephesians chapter six beginning in verse 10, it tells you very clearly that every aspect of your weaponry is on the front side. There's nothing covering your back. Your back is exposed. What does that tell me? It tells me there's no retreat, there's no backing down, there's no running away. When we're in the battle, all we can do is move forward, run forward, pursue the enemy, flee and fight, and see what God will do in your heart and in your life today. Don't give up, don't back down, don't give in to fear, but stand. So this morning, I wanna give you three things very quickly that we have to do in order to fight that good fight of faith. First and foremost, we have to learn to resist the devil. James 4, 7, James says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You need to understand the meaning of that word resist. That word resist means to stand against, to oppose. You have to determine whose side are you on. And you have to know who really is your enemy. I've got news for you. I'm not your enemy. Chris isn't your enemy. Yvonne isn't your enemy. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are not your enemies. We're on the same side. Your enemy is Slewfoot, old horns on the head. Your enemy is the devil, the liar, the thief, the accuser of the brethren. It's time to know who your enemy really is and stop fighting with one another. And know whose side you're on. I'm on the Lord's side, I'm on the winning side, I'm on the side of the one that gets the crown, amen. Know whose side you're on. Reminds me of the deaf guy that went to church every single time the doors were open. He didn't have any sign language interpreting for him, he just went to church. Finally someone said to him, why do you go to church all the time? You can't hear anything, you don't understand anything. He smiled and looked at him and said, I just want people to know whose side I'm on. Isn't it time you let people know whose side you're on? Isn't it time you stop living as a closet Christian that you armor up and suit up and take the weapons of your warfare and fight the good fight of faith? Don't worry about what people say. Of course, they're going to mock you. Of course, some will reject you. Of course, some will ostracize you. Yes, you will lose friends. Well, if you want to call them friends, I really wouldn't call them friends. If they don't accept my faith in Jesus Christ, they're not my friend, and they can turn me away. That's okay, but it doesn't mean you back down, bow down, or shut up because they don't like it. It means you fight the good fight of faith. It means you speak the truth in love. You live in that place of goodness and gentleness and let people see what God has done in and through your life. You and I can't conform to culture because culture is of the enemy. Culture is managed, culture is planned, culture is devised by the enemy of your soul. Everything that you see going on out there, everything that's in opposition to the word of God is from the enemy. You need to understand that. We have to stand up against culture instead of submitting to and succumbing to the pressures of culture. We need to leave. That learn that we can't be in the good fight of faith if we submit to culture. We can't be in the good fight of faith if we cave to pressure from friends or family members. We can't be in the good fight of faith if we live like hell six days a week and then try to worship God on Sunday morning. It just isn't gonna work. It's time to sell out, to give it your all, to fight the good fight of faith, to lay hold on eternal life. Paul was talking to you when he wrote those words to Timothy. So stand up and be the person God's calling you to be. Is there a scriptural example of that? Well, I believe there is. You'll find it in 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's a story of David's mighty men. There were 30 of these guys who did extraordinary exploits on the battlefield. They were special forces on steroids in that place and in that time. These guys were unbelievable. I don't have time to talk to you about all 30 of them. I'm just gonna mention a few of them. Look in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and you don't have to turn there, just write it down and remember it. Adino killed 800 men, 800 of the enemy at one time, one man against 800, and he prevailed. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, now, that name in itself would make me mad enough to fight. Chris, if you call me Dodo, we're going to town. I can just hear those Philippine say, or Philistines saying, there's Ododo. Dodo, old Dodo's out there on the battlefield. That would make you just mad, wouldn't it? You'd see red like waving a red flag at a bull. It says that Eleazar the son of Dodo, when Israel the armies of Israel retreated, he stood. He attacked and he fought alone until his hand was literally stuck to his sword. He couldn't release his grip, but he won the battle and brought it to Israel that day because someone said, this guy's gonna stand for the right things of God. How about Shema? He stationed himself in a bean field. He defended it and he killed the Philistines. Abba Ab- Ab- Aisha, who used a spear to kill 300 men. Or how about Benaniah? The Bible says he killed two lion-like men from Moab. Now I really have no idea what that means. Probably had bushy beards and bushy hair. Probably they hadn't been to the barbershop lately, right, Tyler? Starting to look a little bit like me. Bushy head, beards and bushy heads. Two lion-like men from Moab. It means they were strong, they were big, they were ferocious, they were devourers. And he killed them both. It says he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And it says he took a spear away from an Egyptian and he killed that Egyptian with his own spear. When I read that story in that account, what is the common characteristics of those 30 men? Let me give it to you. They wouldn't quit. They wouldn't run. They wouldn't bow down. They never gave up. They had what we call in Oklahoma, grit. There was something inside of them that says, this battle is worth fighting. This stand is worth making. I'll put my life on the line so that the cause of my nation and my people and my king can be exalted and furthered and advanced. Oh, come on, I'm so tired of weak Christians who bow and bend and run at every attack of the enemy, who are afraid of their own shadows. Come on, church, it's time to get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, to stand in faith, to weaponize in the armor of God and rush to the battle. Never give up, never stop, never turn back. God, give us men and women of backbone of courage, of character who won't be intimidated, who won't quit, who refuse to run, who stand the ground, who will fight till God brings the victory. You see, we're in a real fight. And it's getting more real and more desperate and more intense every day that we're on planet earth. We need to understand that culture is absolutely against the kingdom of God. Culture wants nothing to do with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ or the message of salvation that comes through his sacrifice. Culture wants you to believe you can live any way you wanna live and it's okay. Matter of fact, they take it even further than that. You can't call anything right or anything wrong unless culture deems it right or wrong. And there's so much more gray area in culture than there is black or white. Folks, it's time to stop listening to the media. It's time to stop buying what they're telling you and stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that the OBGTQ agenda is one that's from the enemy. It's meant to destroy the underpinnings, the foundations of the church of Jesus Christ. It's not right. It's not righteous. There is hope, and that hope is forgiveness through Jesus' name. And you and I have to continue to speak and to preach that word. I want you to stop and think about it for just a moment and ask yourself, what all has slipped through and been advanced in culture since this pandemic occurred? Well, right here in Tallahassee, you'll remember about a month and a half ago, there was a city council meeting where they were taking... uh, observations, conversations, opinions from the citizens regarding the conversion therapy. And maybe you didn't know it, but without any fanfare, without any announcement, that was actually adopted. They banned conversion therapy in Tallahassee this past week at the city council meeting. Didn't know that, did you? It slipped in under the radar. What else is slipping in under the radar while we are distracted by the events going on around the world? What else is happening? How is Satan advancing culture against the church during this time? It's been said that there should never be another religious service in America. What kind of a fool makes statements like that? How crazy must you be to stand against the power of the living God? Listen to me, there has been days when the church has been severely persecuted. Those days will come again. But you and I, just like Peter and John, have to stand before them and say, it's better to obey God than to obey man. Come on, somebody, grow a backbone, stand up, be the church in what God is asking you to be and do. You know, it's interesting to me that culture has fell in love with the Islamic faith. Ramadan starts this next week. It's a time of one of the most holy periods for Islam. I wonder, will they shut mo- the mosque down? I wonder. Will they say, uh, Muslims, you can't have any more than 10 people in your mosque during Ramadan? I don't, I'm not a betting man, but I'll almost bet you $100, that's not gonna happen. It's gonna happen exactly as they want, when they want, with no interference and with no resistance from culture. What else is slipping through the cracks? What else? Look around you and ask God what's really happening? What's really going on? How do you want me to fight against it? First and foremost, he wants you to fight the good fight of faith. He wants you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to stand up and let your voice be heard in a darkened world. Listen, David's mighty men were not always warriors. They weren't. You say, "I'm, I'm not a warrior. I'm not strong. I don't have courage. Well, that may be where you are now, but it's not where God wants you to be in the next moment. He wants to fill you with faith. He wants to fill you with courage. He wants you to be strong in the power of his might. He wants you to walk in the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He wants that same spirit that filled Peter and John so that they said we'd rather obey God rather than men to fulfill you today as well and to fill me today as well. David's mighty men were not always mighty men. Matter of fact, if you read the backstory, he found them in the wilderness in the, cave, in the cave, and they were there hiding because they were outlaws. They were desperados. They were cowards. They were thieves. They were murderers. They were hunted by the authorities. But when an influence called David came into their life and began to mold them and shape them, All that stuff from their past fell away. All that cowardice was gone. All that aspect of thievery and murdering was gone. And they rose up and became mighty men of God, valiant warriors in the kingdom of Israel under David's leadership. Listen, we serve a king who came from the lineage of David, from the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He came to the earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinful, sinless life, died on the cross, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead so that you and I could be forgiven and filled with power from on high. Oh, come on, church. Don't be what you were yesterday, be what God's calling you to be today. Draw the battle lines. Joshua of old in the Old Testament drew the battle line as he was closing out his administration and his time to rule over Israel. And he gathered all the leaders of Israel. And he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, somebody needs to say this. Not just you, but you and your house. Come on, men, it's time to be leaders in your home. Come on, single moms, it's time to be leaders in your home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will honor Jesus Christ. We will magnify him. We'll draw the line in the sand, the battle line, and we'll lead our families in righteousness. Can I challenge those of you who have children at home that go to school? I know they're at home now. They're not actually going to school. But even now, Will you sit down with them every morning and pray the blessings of God over their life? We ask God to open their minds so they can learn, their hearts so they can understand, their spirits so they can receive from the King of Kings. We ask Him to protect them, to cover them, to keep them in the hollow of His hands. And then before they go to bed at night, will you pray over them one more time? There is no greater way to impart the blessings and the goodness and the power of God to your children than to see you walking in faith by praying over them, by blessing them, by encouraging them, by asking the Holy Spirit to strengthen them and fill them each and every day, every morning and every evening. Yvonne and I pray over those nine grandkids. We lift them before the Lord and we say God protect them. Put angels of fire round about them. Don't allow society and culture and the evils that are prevalent to even touch them or come upon them, but rather fill them with the power of God. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Make them men and women who will rise up to be men and women who will fight the good fight of faith. Just a few weeks ago, our oldest grandson, Connor, stood right where I'm standing. We just got back from Peru late on Saturday night Sunday morning, he's sharing his testimony. I probably can't get through this without crying. But he stood right here. And he said, while I was in Peru, God called me to be a missionary doctor. And now I'm gonna follow him, and once I get my education, and once I become a doctor, I'm going to go back to the mission field, open a free clinic, and treat the people who desperately need to be treated. Oh, I'll tell you what, that did something for this grandpa. Did something for that grandma. His parents came uh, the next day on Monday evening to see us and to pick Connor up. They stayed the whole week. And he had told them he had something he wanted to tell them, but he didn't want to do it on the phone. We were sitting out on the front porch on Tuesday evening, and Angie and Chris said, So, Connor, what, what do you want to tell us? Tears welled up in his eyes, and he began to tell them the same exact thing. You know, his dad's a pastor. His mom's a nurse. And I could just see the pride, the excitement, the joy that welled up within their spirit when their oldest son responded to the call of God on his life. Come on, church, it's time. You and I pass that blessing, we pass that heritage, we pass that lineage down to our children and our grandchildren, and they rise up to become mighty warriors in the kingdom of God. We also need to resist temptation, resist temptation. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16, the, the writer wrote it this way. We should hold fast the confession of our faith because our high priest has passed through the heavenlies, Jesus, the son of the living God. When I read that, he says, hold fast the confession of your faith. What does it mean, how do we do that? We do that by resisting the enemy, by pushing them away, by fighting them off. Chris, will you come here for just a moment, please? Come right up here, Andrea, come with him. We have a few people here in the service this morning, so I just need some demonstrations here. Chris, stand right here. Yeah, right there, that's good. Andrea, stand right here. Now, Chris, how much do you weigh? 285. 285, I'm not gonna ask you that question, I'm smarter than that. How tall are you? I'm 4'11. 4'11, but I'm going to heaven and it makes me feel 10 foot tall, right? Yeah, I sang that song to her several years ago. She had never heard it. Chris, how tall are you? 5'10. 5'10. 5'10, 4'11. You're almost a foot taller than her. You're outwear by probably 170, 80 pounds, don't you think? So if these two got into a wrestling match, who do you think's gonna win? Who thinks Andrea will win? Lift your hand. Will she win? Oh, Pastor Mike and Tyler think she will. I think they're dreaming or smoking something. (laughs) Who thinks Chris will win? Yeah, I would have to agree. Chris is gonna win. He's gonna put her down and hold her down. Thank you, guys. You need to understand that we're on the winning side. Jesus Christ is the champion. He is the one who is going to enable us to resist the enemy. As much as she might want to resist him, She'll never overcome him. She'll never overpower him. As much as the enemy might want to come against you, he will never defeat you. He will never overcome you. He will never overpower you because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's time to resist the enemy and resist its temptations. Secondly, we need to remember who the enemy is. John 10.10, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Your enemy is not your brother. Your enemy is not your sister. Your enemy is the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And did you know the word destroy in the Greek literally means to divide, to separate? Have you noticed that's exactly what the devil is trying to do with the church of Jesus Christ, to divide us, to separate us? There are so many churches in Tallahassee that run 20 or under, it blows me away. But you know why they're there? Because they got mad, because they disagreed, because they couldn't reconcile with a brother or a sister. So rather than following biblical patterns, they just said, we're going to go out and do our own thing. We're going to start our own church. And they did listen, God will never bless that attitude. God expects you and I to walk in unity. It's in unity where the blessing of God dwells. It's not in division. It's not in strife. It's not in fighting with one another. You are not the enemy. I am not the enemy. We need to understand it's the enemy, Satan, who wants to divide us, who wants to destroy us, Who wants us to think that we don't get along with other people, so we need to go do our own thing? There's never been as much division in the church as there is today in the 21st century. Why? Because the enemy is fighting against us, and we're not wise enough to recognize him as the enemy. Rather, we default to our flesh, we default to our right, to our privileges, we default to our opinions. You need to put all that on the altar and you need to sacrifice it today. Let it die and never, never let it be raised again. But let God do what God wants to do. Let God do something great in your life. Get in the fight. Here's a truth I learned years ago. If you will spend your time in the fight, fighting against the enemy, if you'll put on the armor of God, be weaponized, and if you'll get in the fight, you won't have the time or the desire To criticize your brothers and your sisters you won't have any desire to pick everything apart because you're occupied with what God called you to do and that's to fight the good fight of faith somebody needs to hear that this morning you need to take it to heart you need to stop sitting on that seat of criticism and rise up weaponize yourself and get in the fight of faith probably ought to ask God to forgive you too you may even need to go back and ask some brothers and sisters to forgive you too that would be a good thing to do and a good time to do it right now. Ask him to forgive you. And then see what God will do. You know, when it came time in David's life for him to take the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, is the city of God. That's what it means, the city of God. And when David, when he was, when he was ruling over Judah, wanted to take the city of Jerusalem, it was a walled fortress, just like that castle we talked about a while ago. It was a walled fortress, David knew that his little army could never penetrate those walls. And he knew there was only one way into that fortress, to that walled city. And it was through the aqueduct that ran under the city and brought the water, the fresh water into the city. So David knew he needed to find someone who could go through that aqueduct, kill the gate, the guard at the gate, open the gates for his army to come in so they could conquer Jerusalem and then set it up as the king, as the capital of the city of God and the kingdom of Israel and of Judah. So he understood I needed someone. And when he was looking for a man, there was a man who stood up whose name was Joab. Now, Joab wasn't just some nobody. He was a general. He was a man of influence. He was a man who had fought many, many battles. He was a man with scars. He was a man who could pay, command people to do what he asked them to do. And they did it because he was a general. But in that moment of time, Joab said, My anointing is not David's anointing. My anointing is something different. It's to help David fulfill his anointing. So Joab said, I will do it. I'll be that man. Even though I'm a general, I could order a private, but I'm gonna do it because I'm the general. I'm gonna lead my men by example. Joab said, I will do it. What do you have to do? He had to swim 67 feet underwater. And once he reached the end of the aqueduct, there was a deep well that rose up to the city of Jerusalem. And he had to scale a straight vertical wall that was 37 feet high. If modern day climbers do it now, it takes them two hours to climb that 37 feet. Joab said, I'll swim that 67 feet underwater, I'll climb 37 feet vertically. And when I get to the top, I'll crawl out of that well. I'll kill the guards at the gate. I'll throw open the doors so that the army of David can come in. And he said, that's my anointing. That's what I'm here to do. Here's the point. Some of you are not functioning in your anointing. You're trying to function in someone else's anointing. It's no wonder you're defeated all the time. Get where God wants you. Do what God asks you. Let his anointing flow through you. And then watch what he does in your life. David needed a Joab, but just as he needed Joab, Joab needed David. We need each other. We all have different anointings, but we need each other in order to fight the battle and to win the victory in the kingdom of God. Live your anointing. Let God honor you and those you serve. You know, Tom has a different anointing than I do. Pastor Mike has a different anointing than I do. Yvonne has a different anointing than I do. I can't function in their anointings. If I try, I'm going to fail. You don't want me to sing. You don't want me to play the piano or the guitar. You probably don't even want me leading your youth or your young adults But here's the good news. When I stay where God has placed me and the anointing flows through me, it will encourage you, it will inspire you, it will cause you to rise up to the challenge. And when they stay in their anointings, it does the same exact thing. We need to understand we need to stay where God has called us to be. We need to believe one another, pray for one another, stand in the gap for one another, stand in your anointing. It's interesting to me that in the book of Job, chapter 40, verse 10, the Bible says that when Job prayed for his friends, then God healed him. God restored him. I've been encouraging you for three weeks to reach out to people, to call them, to text them, to email them, to be involved in their lives. I'm going to say it again. If you want to see God do something good in your life, reach out to someone else. Share the blessing of God with them. Pray over them. Pray for them. Believe for them. You know, there may be somebody that you know who can't get out and go to the grocery store. And you can. Why don't you call and say, hey, let me go get your groceries for you today. Be a blessing in their life. Be an encouragement to them. Lift them up and allow God to move through you to be a source of encouragement to them. God restored Job when he prayed for his friends. That's what we need to begin doing. Even more so today as we fight the bite of faith, we need to pray for one another. I need another demonstration. Chris and Eric, would you come? Uh, Tyler, Pastor Mike and Tom, would you guys come? You're probably going to have to stand in front of me because there's so many of you, but that's okay. Chris, you stand right there. Tyler, you stand right there. Eric, you stand right here. Andrea, you can stand right there. Pastor Mike and Tom, over here. You face this way. Come up here closer. All right, closer and turn this way. Turn this way. You two guys turn around and face the other direction. Now put your hand on each other's shoulders. You two guys turn around and face the other direction. You two, turn around. Chris, you turn around. Andrea, you turn around. Everybody's facing out. There you go. Everybody's facing out. Put your hand on each other's shoulders. Can you do that? All right, now let me ask you, in this picture, who can come against them? Absolutely no one, because they're facing the front, they're facing the sides, they're facing the back. It doesn't matter where the enemy tries to come in, when we are bound together, when we are standing together. Yeah, we know Andrea's a little short, put her hand on your shoulder. You can laugh too, it's really pretty funny. I'm only seeing a part of it. I'm sure it's really funny when you're seeing the whole thing. But when we stand together, the enemy has no inroad. He has no access, because somebody's always got your back. Somebody's always watching your side. Somebody's always protecting your front, your flank, and your rear when you stand together. It's time for the church to stand together. Now listen, when you're in this position, you never give a sharp sword to somebody that doesn't have some scars. I wouldn't give Eric a sharp sword and ask him to protect my back if I didn't know he'd already won some battles. I wouldn't give Tyler a sharp sword and say watch my back if I didn't know he'd already won some battles. I wouldn't do it for Pastor Mike or Tom or Chris and Andrea if I didn't know that when push come to shove, they were gonna stand and fight for me and not run away. Oh come on, surround yourselves, thank you guys. Pastor Mike and Tom, when you go back to the platform. Surround yourselves with people who are of like mind and like faith, who will stand and fight the good fight of faith with you and for you. Make sure they've been in a battle, see their scars, and then with confidence, hand them a sharp sword. Watch my back. Watch my flank. Watch my front. Because when we stand together, what did Jesus say? Wherever two or three agree together is touching anything, what's going to happen? Whatever they ask will be done to them. It's time to stand together, church. We know our enemy, our enemy is not our brothers and our sisters, our enemy is Satan and his henchmen. And when we stand together against him, he has to flee, he has to flee. What did Romans sixteen twenty say? What did Paul write to the church in Rome? He said, and shortly shall the God of all peace bruise Satan under your feet. That's where he is, folks, he's under your feet. He's not up here in your face scaring you with the coronavirus. He's not up here in your face telling you you're going to die. He can't be because the Lord has already conquered and defeated him. If you're allowing him this place, you're giving him way too much power and way too much prominence. It's time to stand to your feet and say, Satan, you're a liar. You're defeated and you are under my feet because I will fight the good fight of faith. Be bold. Be courageous. Let God move in your life. I know there's a lot of football fans that are watching this broadcast and part of this church, and I know that Florida State is your team. Just imagine being in the seats with me at the stadium when Florida State's playing Florida, your biggest rival. Imagine the yelling, the screaming, the hollering. Imagine the back and forth struggle, the highs and the lows that go on through that game. Imagine someone sitting beside you. You really don't know them, but you know they're a fan. They like FSU. So you're cheering together. You're on the same side. Now imagine with me, when that game comes to an end, the scoreboard says Florida State 27, Florida 20. Sorry, Gator fans, but that's the way it's gonna be. This is my illustration. When you preach, you can use it any way you want, but today, Florida State wins. Everybody says amen. All right, Florida State 27, Florida 20 and you go wild in the stands. You're yelling, you're screaming, you're hollering, throwing your ticket and your popcorn in the air because you won. That's what you're saying, isn't it? We won, we won, we won. Well, wait a minute. Back the train up. I don't see any dirt on your forehead. I don't see any stains on your pants. I don't see blood on your uniform shirt. Why? Because you never got on that field. You never got tackled by a 320-pound lineman who fell flat on you trying to squeeze the breath right out of you. You never got hit by a 220-pound cornerback running at 16 mile an hour when your hands were raised to catch a pass and he hit you in the ribs and took you out. You didn't suffer any of that. But you're standing there saying, we won, we won? How can you say that? Well, you say that because I got the shirt. It says I'm a Seminole. I got the jacket, says I love Florida State. I've got the ticket that bought my way into this arena so I could watch this game and cheer for my team. Do you see where I'm going? You and I never bled. We never suffered. We were not beaten and spit upon. We were not suffering 39 lashes. We didn't hang on a cross until our last breath expired. Jesus did all of that for us. He did it all for us so that you and I could stand today and say, we win, we win, we win. We're on the winning side because our master, our king, our savior has paid the price and brought the victory to you and me. Why can we fight the good fight of faith? Because we know the outcome. We know the end result. We know that Jesus Christ wins every time. Every time. The scoreboard's going to read, Jesus Christ, a million, gazillion, trillion, and the devil, zero. Zero. That's what it's going to say. Whose side are you going to be on when that scoreboard reads the final tally? Whose side will you be on? Father, right now, let the presence and the power of Jesus Christ flow into hearts and lives today. I pray for those that are watching online, whether they're in Tallahassee, other parts of Florida or Georgia, or somewhere else in the nation or around the world. I pray for those especially who have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that right now, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would flood their lives and they would want, they would desire, they would sense the need to confess you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Confess you as Savior. And then ask you to forgive them of their sins, to change their life, and to put them on the winning side. You see, friend, it really is that simple. All you have to do is say, I believe in you, Jesus, as the Son of God. I confess that you died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, to change my life. And when you speak those words in faith, he does it immediately. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to go through some religious rigmarole. You don't have to join a church. You simply ask him. And when you ask him in faith, he receives you. He forgives you. He accepts you. He makes you a child of the living God. Won't you do that right now? Just bow your head wherever you're at and say, Jesus, forgive me forgive all my sins change my life come into my heart today make me the man or woman that you designed me to be from creation make me a child of God if you did that this morning send us a message on Facebook or through our website let us know that you turned your heart over to Jesus Christ now church I want to talk to you for just a minute because far too many of us aren't in the fight we're sitting on the bench We're letting someone else do the fighting for us. Grandma's praying for us, and we think that's enough. I challenge you, right where you're at, if you're ready to get in the fight, if you're ready to be weaponized, put on the full armor of God, if you're ready to pull down to eradicate some strongholds, if you're ready to cast down vain imaginations, if you're ready to do that, stand your feet right where you're at, right there in your living room, right in your office. Right in your den, stand to your feet, right on your back porch. If you're listening and you're in the car, you're listening to Wave 94, pull over. You have time, this is important. Pull over, park that car. Stand on the shoulder and say, God, put me in. I'm tired of being on the bench. Put me in. Let me become the man Paul challenged us to be, to fight the good fight of faith. Father, I now pray for every one of these individuals who are online or in the sanctuary who are right now submitting their will and their lives to you. I pray that you fill them with that due to most dynamic, explosive power of the Holy Ghost. Give them courage. Give them boldness. Take them from the bench to the front line. Put them in the fight. Give them courage to be a voice for you in this culture, in this society. And let them determine that it doesn't matter what the devil throws at me. I'm surrounded by people of God and I will not fail. I will not be defeated because Jesus Christ has already given me victory. Fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit now and let us become those men and women you've designed us to be in Jesus' name. You made it to the end of the message and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more.